Oh, there she go. There she got it. All right. Welcome to I'm gonna leave meeting one day when I see that. Yeah. You're gonna do what? <laughs> I'm gonna hit the leave meeting when I see that. <laughs> just one day, just I'm out. <laughs> uh, and Noah censored himself. You guys, you guys would probably go through the whole show and be like, what happened to Noah? Oh no, I'll know because your name will disappear off my screen. Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I have the name on there too. Yeah, so as soon as that pops up, you'll disappear. I'll go, oh, and we lost somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, anywho, welcome to another episode of A Conversation with Open Minds. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. That yes. was different. That it was. was. It was. Yeah. It's the mood that I'm in, I guess. Okay. I'm in a slightly hmm. different mood. Yeah. Trying to shake things up. Let's get all the happiness out the way first. All right. Happy joy. <laughs> Are you guys doing, doing okay? Yeah. 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 Now moving on to the sad stuff. Bam. Yes. Well, not quickly. Yes. I got something to say oh, okay. for y'all. But, but introduce us after that. I'll do our, you know, do those. All right. Going to the left corner. We have there the champion of all champions. The man who will always get up when they keep hitting him down. Noah. Mm. Mm. Shalom. Shalom back to you. Right side of the corner, we have the other guy who doesn't give up. Mm -mm. Never says die. Show you right. Ride or die, partner. (laughs) Mr. Bright. What's going on, everybody? Morning, morning, morning. Morning. Or afternoon. You could be in China, it could be midday, it could be evening. You don't know. We got listeners all over the world, man. Myself, I'm coming back from Beijing. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say on the moon, there's no day. (laughs) Happy happy moon. I just spent the last 30 days at the Olympics, had a great time. Watch some some monobobbing or whatever they call it. Monobobbing. That sounds good. It sounds weird, actually. You got all that out the way because we about to go to war with Russia. So everybody's going to Yeah, we are. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I'm not even sure if I even understand why. Don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I honestly think it's just Putin flexing his muscle, trying to get more territory and more power. Because I don't think he's making any money off of this other than the, the arms but he's making his money off of natural gas. If he goes to war with Ukraine, he's either going to isolate Europe or create new NATO allies with Norway and Sweden, some other places, even Ukraine. I don't see him making money off of this in the long run, doing business. You know, it's just weird. But it, to me, if you think he's just being dominant, that makes sense. I think he's just being a bully. Well, that too. That too. And since, and since Biden basically kind of said to him, hey, you go over there, man, we're coming after you. He went, Really? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. Bring your ass over. Mm-hmm. Which I think Biden shouldn't have said made that like ultimatum that type of a threat because Putin doesn't give a crap. And now you got to back it up. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what he did. He called his bluff. Now he's got to back yeah. it up. Well, yeah. it seems like with the declaration he made that hey, these people speak the same language as us, <laughs> so that means that land is ours. So we're gonna move on in. And I think a lot of the rest of the world was like, what? No, I don't think so. So it might not just be the U.S., although we usually tend to take the brunt of all of the conflict, you know, with blood and treasure, as they say. Mm. But, 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be messy. Not to mention that $7 billion that we're going to take from Afghanistan from their their treasury and pay our people. But that was ours. That's another that's another story. We'll talk about yeah. it another day. Man. Yeah, money, yeah. It's, money's all fake. Don't worry about it. It's just, it's just <laughs> all fake. Yeah, it's just moving in space. Yeah, it's all virtual you know, cash. That's right, man. That's Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> we're all going to die anyway because they're going to Russia's going to shoot their rockets. We're going to shoot our rockets and it's going to jump in and say, hey, what about us? <laughs> hey, it's better yeah. to have nuclear missiles and not need them than to need them and not have them. I that guess. True. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. that's just things I hear. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, we're all dying. <laughs> that's how the world ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not the just our civilization. The, you know, the next um, incarnation of humans will have a little different, you know, who knows what they'll do. Korea trying to bomb people, Russia trying to bomb people, and the U.S. being in the middle. I'd say pretty much most of the world will be gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably. A few little Probably. spots. Yeah, there'll be some dry spots out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we either need to move to New part. Zealand or Madagascar. I'm thinking yes. that's, that's the places. Oh, yeah. Tahiti, nope. way off there somewhere. They'll get missed. Hey, man. Tahiti. Yeah. I got a Black History fact, man. This is almost the end of Black History Month. Let it go, man. Do it. We're in it. We're in it. Let it rip. Did you know that? No, we didn't. I know. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it was a rhetorical I, question. I, 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 know. Yeah. I just felt like Daytona that. 500. This was the first year that four Black owners had a NASCAR team. John Cohen, which I don't know if I talked to y'all about that. He's the HBCU grad. He's had the team the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a team. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know Michael Jordan because Bubba Wallace drives mm-hmm. for him. And Bubba Wallace got second. He almost won. Mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace is the first NASCAR, black NASCAR. Well, not the first, second black NASCAR driver. He almost won. Floyd Mayweather had a team. Oh, okay. And Brad Doherty, the retired basketball player. So. That was an interesting fact. I'll follow that up with another interesting fact. Did you know that George Sampson created the automatic clothes dryer? So every time you put your clothes in the dryer, thank George, George Sampson, black man, created that. Thank you, George Sampson. I got another one. You want to hear? Keep going, bro. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Let the spirit move you. Let the spirit move you. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Jennings, Thomas Jennings, look this up, people, created the dry cleaning press machine for dry cleaning clothes. You know, you go to take your clothes to dry cleaning. Thomas Jennings. That was him, man. That was him. There you have Thomas Jefferson. That's all of it, right? Ain't no more. No, 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 not Thomas (laughs) Jefferson. Thomas Jennings. Look it up. There you go. There you go. Yeah, 1821. Yeah, there you go. He was granted a patent for yep. the uh, method of dry cleaning. Mm-hmm. Speak on it. Yeah, yeah. He was a so, inventor, tradesman, go. entrepreneur, and abol- abolitionist. Abolitionist. Yeah. Is that, is that right? Abolitionist. Mm-hmm. New yep. York City. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks for those facts, man. I- I wonder over the years, because they, you know, they say history is written by the winners. Yes. Which is a, not the greatest way to put it, but how many times that there were um, either, you know, the black inventor or the black um, entrepreneur, the somebody that did something 
that didn't get the credit that was good. Like we're talking about Thomas Edison and the filament and mm-hmm. I can't remember the guy's name that Lewis you know, Latimer, was, Lewis Latimer. Yeah, yeah. That was credited for creating that filament. It's like, well, what else might have he might, might he have done to, you know, kind of further this project that was him and not, you know, the guy that's actually credited in the history books just yeah. in general, all around. I mean, there's gotta be more that we don't know that just, oh, you know, way that, that, that the, that the, uh, the patent office said no, or, you know, the bank said, no, we're not going to do this, or we're going to put somebody else's name on it. So they, you know, the finances will work or something crazy. So it's just something to think about that. There's probably more out there that, you know, oh, yeah, as, you know, as the years go by and the centuries go by that, you know, the, the idea that, you know, the, the, the oppression that was more than just the physical and the mental would be, you know, kind of peeled away and looked at and go, Oh yeah, this is a, this person is credited with this when nobody else knew it, you know, for centuries or whatever. So I think what's big too, and this is my last little comment is that the reason why I read these facts and I try to tell my daughter, you know, my family, that if you see people that look like you, doing things like that because a lot of stuff that i've read lately i didn't know i had to read that and it's not it's not taught to us in school you know the history you read american history you read you know you're going to read by rosa parks martin Luther king and slaves yeah. that's it you know but if you if you see people inventors you see that's why they say representation matters once you see that you're like oh somebody looked like me did that then that lets you know that you can do anything, be anything, you know, in this world. So that's just, that's my positive fact because it's about to get, well, before you, you know, that, I'm yeah. going to slip in one last black history fact and then we'll just go on with what we're doing. But Garrett Morgan, do it. Yes. Elementary school education. Mm-hmm. That's all he had. Uh, apparently had a patent to improve the sewing machine, mm-hmm. traffic light. Yes, a hair straightening product and a respiratory device that would later provide the blueprint for the World War One gas mask. Mm-hmm. Garrett, Morgan. Garrett Morgan. Mm-hmm. Garrett Morgan. Every time you stop at that traffic light. That's right. Mr. Morgan. That's all See, but that's the government. That's the government oppressing people by telling them to stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the other Morgan guy that was going to be there after you run through the traffic light. <laughs> 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 all right anyway what are we gonna talk about today fellas what we got what we got oh man well we've been talking off the air about this a while back and forth but we're going to talk about the uh tulsa massacre 1921 um greenwood district um to me i don't know about you guys i'll let you guys chime in this is something that i didn't know about until maybe Oof. I would say right around when the whole Trayvon, maybe a little after that Trayvon Martin thing happened, I really started doing a lot of deep diving into, you know, black history and stuff like that. But it's something that's not taught in schools. Um, basically, Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a hold um, for lack of putting into the greatest phrase, a renaissance of black wealth business um empowerment in that area and we're going to talk about the story it's called black wall street that's kind of like the popular name uh people call it today but it's really 
the Greenwood district in Tulsa. Um, so we're kind of going to talk about that. It's, uh, it's not a lot of positive stuff, but I think that it's important because it gives you the history of things that happen in America that are not talked about, um, that explain a lot. To me, after I saw this story, it explained to me a lot about like my grandparents and their parents of why they talked and did some of the things that they did and why they did it. Because me as a young African-American, um, I see the world as, okay, I can do and say what I want. But back in those times, you couldn't do and say what you want. And then even if you prospered, if the good people didn't like it, they would burn it down to the ground. And we're going to talk about that. Um, and kind of expound upon that. Is that kind of did I did I put in the framework or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want me to start or you got somebody else yeah, wanna? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I got my notes here. Let me get my notes here. So uh last year, I think it was last year we talked about they had a special on the history channel. And I encourage anybody that hasn't watched this or they listened to this podcast to go watch that special. It's about two hours. It's about the Tulsa massacre and how it started was a preacher. Um, he moved to Tulsa and the, the church that he moved to just so happened to be the church uh, where one of the uh, battles, the gun battles happened in Tulsa. It was a historically black, black church. So to kind of set up what's going on is uh, it's in the 1920s um, and I want to set it up. So I had to go back and watch it again yesterday and it was hard to watch. I, I'll admit it was very hard to watch because it was triggering. Um, it made me upset, but I went through it again because I wanted to take better notes. And to set it up, it's the 1920s. You got to remember that uh, reconstruction happened, right? So when you hear somebody be like, well, well, the good people, the Republicans used to be the good people and the Democrats are the bad people, which I don't even believe in the two party system. But, you know, they identify black people with Democrats and whatever. And uh, what was happening was Reconstruction was when, you know, after the Civil War, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Um, you know, the, the North went into the southern states and, you know, they had to basically be. Um, protect black people, you know, protect their rights. You know, they wanted everybody to be a citizen, to be counted, um, protect their voting rights. And that was going on shortly after the Civil War. But then what ended up happening, it, it, Reconstruction ended up breaking down in the South or collapsing. And this is where the um, documentary starts. That's the first thing they tell you. Reconstruction in the South broke down. Basically, all the troops in the North were ordered to leave the South and they left Black people there to fend for themselves. And that's when the Black Codes came in. Remember, we talked about the Black Codes. Basically, you're a free Black person, but then the good citizens of that town, wherever it was in the South, said, well, you're a Black person, you got to do this or you got you to gotta have this and you can't vote. And it was only for Black people. And it was basically know your place. It was basically, um, it was basically uh, terrorism towards people of color. You know, just around that time, a lot of stuff happened 
the KKK was formed. So now you have this entity that was formed to kind of corral and, and uh, intimidate uh, black people, you know, and kind of keep them in their place. So all that was going on um, in the South. So what ended up happening was out West, um, you already had the Indian, the, I'm sorry, not Indians, the Native Americans were pushed out West. We know about the Trail of Tears. We've talked about that on the podcast. So they were pushed out West and put on land out west reservations kind of uh the united states of america gave them that land said you cannot be in the south all of the tribes you can go out west you can have that land we'll put you out there but this fertile land in the south we're taking that so um blacks in the south saw that as an opportunity to get away from the black codes to go out west and to you know start new with land that was out there basically they said if you come out there you'd have land you'd be away from you know uh racism the black codes they were in the south you know it was a big migration out west oklahoma texas places like that um so the documentary picks back up in oklahoma where blacks and native americans live together in harmony in these territories that's when you get the black people when they say, well, I have an Indian world. Indian is an old word. We use Native American now. In my family, what that meant, and I'm just generalizing this, blacks and Indians live together. They sometimes marry, you know, their families were intertwined. So they had these territories. So one of the territories was in Tulsa. They had these territories and they lived together. So out West, it was basically like nobody was going out there to explore. And I'm just setting it up and I'm gonna move it on to you guys. So the blacks and the native Americans were out there. They never wanted Oklahoma to be a state. They were happy with uh, the citizens of the South, white people staying in the South, the North, wherever they was, because they knew once whites went West towards Oklahoma, and found that they could live out there, thrive and get land, that the racism and the bigotry and all that stuff would come with it. So they fought. They did not want white people to come out west because they knew that they would take over the territory. They would create these laws and they would use all these traps to ensnare the people. And the Native Americans already went through that because they had been driven out their lands. And blacks had went through that because they came over in slavery and they had been migrated west. So now we pick it up in 1919, 1920, 1918. We pick it up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we'll start from there. I kind of like set it up for us. That's where we at. And then that's where we can start to talk about Black Wall Street. So if anybody else wants to kind of inject something in right there before we move on. Um, you got anything, KT? Because I'll, I'll throw something out. Good, man. All right. So not specifically about this incident, but about the times. And currently, there's a lot of people that, you know, and it's mainly white people that would say that, you know, um, the, 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 the talk of critical race theory going in the past and, you know, this, this, this notion that, you know, oh, things weren't always that bad, um, you know, just in general, as a white person. I feel not ashamed for myself, but for the people back then. Um, 
because what they did, they did on their actions, on their belief, on their mindset and their, you know, philosophies, whatever. I don't share those notions that they felt like they needed to oppress and, you know, kind of uh, um, stifle any opportunity, you know, not even growth, but just any opportunity for, you know, between the, the Native Americans, the, 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 the newly freed slaves and all that, for them to, you know, have any notion of a life, you know, so in today's age, don't feel guilty for yourself unless you might think like they felt and oh yeah I, I don't like you should feel bad about what they did then don't think that white people today although there are some that want to do it don't assume that you're in that group unless you do think like that you know mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of people that get their you know kind of knickers in a bunch of all this talk in general well you know it's history for one thing um another thing it's it's recent history. It's our country's history. We should be talking about the to one shed light on it because it's not discussed. It's not, you know, history isn't real unless people talk about it and, you know, make it real and identify with it in some way, shape or form, because, you know, it happened. Mm -hmm. Let's not let it happen again in, in all these little parts and pieces. Um, and even, even the system back in the day supported some of these notions. Um, I was hearing just on the radio the other day about, um, you know, the Japanese internment camps uh, during mm -hmm. World War II. The U.S. Supreme Court allowed that to happen. Yes. They said it was constitutional that Americans could be taken from their homes and resettled somewhere else. So, mm -hmm. you know, don't always assume or we shouldn't assume that the system is always going to work 100 percent and be perfect and cover everyone and everything. So. But my point is, in general, I, I want to talk about this stuff because it's not going to show my, you know, quote unquote, beliefs that I'm a racist or I'm a bigot or anything. No, we need to talk about this stuff so that it doesn't happen again, no matter who is on top or who is being, you know, who is the oppressor or who is the oppressed. It shouldn't happen at all to anybody. Um, and, and going back to this thing, you know, th this situation, when we talk specifically about Tulsa and the massacre, you know, it, it was definitely a time of turmoil. Um, you know, there, the, people could get away with so much back then that there's probably a whole lot more bad things that happened that we never even that were never even documented. Like this incident was documented. It just, it just wasn't taught. It wasn't, you know, said, you know, Hey guys, um, we're going to talk about a pretty dark day in American history. Um, you know, a lot of people died. There was whether they want to nitpick about what kind of word they used to make themselves feel better about it, whether it was a, uh, a riot, which was used, that word specifically was used for, you know, financial reasons and insurance reasons and stuff like that. So people couldn't get reimbursed for businesses and money's lost, um, you know, to the massacre, you know, we, we need to be talking about it. It needs to be brought up, you know, and like I said, if you feel guilty about this, why do you feel guilty about this? What is in that's, your heart that makes you feel like that's a good ashamed question. for yourself? You know, I'm ashamed for the people at the time that did it. Yeah. And I tell you what, if somebody had my last name back in the day that did this, I'd be like, yeah, that was my family. And that's wrong. It's not that hard to do that. There's lots of people that, you know, in one way or another, have a, have a relative that did bad things or, you know, is not necessarily the, the model citizen, but, 
you can still love your family on a basic level as, yeah, that's my family, but you could also look at them and go, yeah, that's, that's not right. I don't believe that. That's, I don't believe in any of that. You're wrong, whatever. I mean, my grandfather, I'll say it every day. My grandfather was a huge bigot. Every time mm-hmm. MLK came on TV or the, the initials were mentioned, he would just lose his S. But mm-hmm. he was an old guy and he was raised in that mentality. And, you know, it's hard to tell your grandfather that, you know, you're wrong, you know, to, to think like this. But, and I was a teenager when I knew him at the time. So I really didn't think I had the gumption enough to say that. But that's just me. But you can disagree with your family, your ancestry on many levels. Think back in World War II, how many German families had Nazis in their family mm-hmm. that the rest of the family didn't want to do that? They didn't feel like the Nazi party was what they want. You know, just get over it. History is history. We need to talk about it. We need to make it real so that it doesn't happen again because it is families. You know, it starts with your neighbors. It starts with your family and things like that. And then it grows into the mob that goes and obliterates these businesses Mm. and these lives, you know, for generations to come. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy that we talk about slavery all the time and say it's bad. And we talk about it back in the Bible days with the Jews and the Egyptians. We was bad from the get go. And yet we still, you know, we still participated as a country, as a nation. And then when slavery went away and there was the, you know, the oppressive, um, I'm trying, uh, the word escapes me, the, um, the segregation period, mm-hmm. which was, um, I- I'm trying to think of another word, but it was all the way up to 1960. Segregation was yeah, oh, 64, oh, 64. 64 was when the civil rights bill was passed. But you got to think, yeah. too. I mean, it was many, many years later that and we're still in it, that racism and bigotry still exist to that level that, you know, was was back in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was like, more like, direct. That was more direct yes. racism. Now we're in an indirect. Oh, nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays it is. And, yeah, you know, and. And it's a shame that, you know, we do have people that, you know, are, are in the oppressed groups and, and you know, the, those groups of people that are marginalized, that they themselves kind of don't see what's happening. And, you know, I, you know, it, I speak for myself and I kind of use my eyes and my my brain and, and, you know, come up with my opinions, obviously. But I want to say, know, it's like, quick, but how can people thing. do that to themselves and their 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 community, you know? Ahead, I want to say two quick things. And KT, I know he wants to speak is my experience is just my experience. I've talked to um, several. Well, not talked to. I, I, I watch people and I, I know several white people. I don't think they view black history as American history. That's just my right. point of view. I think they view it as black history. They don't view it as their history. Like when we say American history, I think. People view it as, OK, the white history of America. But when we say black history, I don't think that whites, white people view it as their history. And then that's just one thing. So I'll let KT go because he hasn't spoken. Oh, that's all right. Um, as listening to both of you and um, thinking about what happened that day leading up to the, the incident that basically mm-hmm. started the the riot, so to speak. Um, it made me think back to when I went to the lynching memorial in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And in reading a lot of that stuff, starting to realize the simple acts that were 
quote unquote committed for them to be murdered for whatever reason that is, whether it was just even looking, whistling, breathing in that general direction. Mm. So apparently what started this one, and I don't know if I'm going to get ahead of you on that random book. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, what started this one was that apparently there was a Shushan guy that supposedly looked at a white woman. Mm-hmm. That's what he was accused of, literally, just looked at her. Um, and that is kind of what started the ball rolling of them now wanting to come out there. Well, then remember, yeah. she went down, he looked at her, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he God, looked no, at no. her. He looked at her some kind of way, the elevator, because you know, That's you had right. the whole cable elevator, it jerked. It was a 17 year old elevator operator. Yeah, it jerked. And then right. once he got off the elevator, she went to whoever was close, police officer, whoever, and said he assaulted her. It's almost like the Emmett yeah. Till thing. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to the very similar to that. But go uh, ahead. Yeah, that he basically the elevator jerk. He fell on her. I guess is what it was because of what happened. She took that as he was assaulting. Yes. And, and mm. I think that that's what bothers me a lot about this whole scenario. Granted, yes, you know, black people moved to that area because they wanted to generate their own wealth. They wanted to do their own thing. They were able to. Uh, start their own movie theater they had their own confectionery they had, they had anything and everything that they wanted and needed that was running started and run by them so mm-hmm. keeping the money in their own community and yes for some reason the white mob outside of that doesn't like that doesn't want to see that happening prosperity they don't want to yeah. see prosperity and it's like right. it's not even it's it's not even anything that's affecting them it's not anything that is bothering them because like you don't have to go there you moved away from there in, you know, in the first place. It doesn't make any sense. I can't even put it into words how it doesn't make any sense other than you just want to go over there and cause trouble. Well, let me say something right. real quick. Power. Um, the, the, guy, yeah, yeah. the guy that was narrating, kind of one of the guys, he kind of broke it down. He said he thought that, you know, because Greenwood was like just, it was almost like if we break down a city, it was a section. It was well, like. He said it was 40 square blocks. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a section where it was like an all black like, neighborhood. Like the northeast section of Oklahoma. Yeah. And then the and then the surrounding area, which was the rest of Tulsa, yeah, was all white residents. Well, Greenwood was thriving. They were making money. They had millionaires, like KT said, they had all this yeah. stuff. The way the guy broke it down, he was like, it was almost like an embarrassment to the white people that were there because just a few years ago, you know, they owned these people. And right, now these right. people are not owned anymore and they're thriving and they're better than them. So it was almost like a, a jealousy thing that was breeding. So go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Katie. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's pretty much what it is. But then, you know, so you had, I read another thing that said also that what started it too was apparently the sheriff of that area told the, the mob to leave and said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. But apparently mm-hmm. there was a, old white man who talked to this other black man who had a gun and asked well didn't ask him said to him to give him his gun and the black man refused and i guess the guy was gonna either try to shoot at him or something but i guess they got into a little bit of fight gun went off and that's when as they said well all hell broke loose yeah let's back up let's back up a little bit Mm. that is that's part of you right but remember that so after Dick Rowland, that was the guy's name. Sarah Page was the white girl that was in elevator. Dick Rowland was the black guy, the black kid that was there. Um, once he was arrested by the police, he 
by the deputy. He was taken and booked. Well, then the white mob started to congregate once they heard about what happened outside of the jail. It was 200, then it was 400, and it became 600. All the great citizens of Tulsa. Mm -hmm. Then they started shouting at the sheriff, hey, hand them over to us. Because remember, lynching was a sport back then. You know, it was like a picnic. We would go out to the lynching. So they wanted to lynch this guy. So as people started coming, what happened, the black residents of Greenwood realized what was going on. They had a quick meeting. So a bunch of them, maybe like 30 to 40 black men that were former um, Union soldiers, got in their gear, got their guns. They marched down to the jail and they said they told the deputy, hey, we know it's going to be a trial or charges. We'll guard this jail until you have your trial and everything just to make sure everything was okay. Well, the deputy told them, no, no, um, you're fine. You're not needed. And that's when uh, the incident that KT said happened. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, you know, you, you got all this going on in this area, you know, it's already tension. Mm-hmm. And now you see these black former union soldiers marched down. They're like, nah, we're going to protect this guy until whatever's going to happen with this case happens because right. the citizens there wanted a lynching. They just wanted a lynching. That's oh, yeah. what it was. So once that happened, um, you know, the deputy said, no, we are going to protect them. The soldiers marched and they left the premises and end up leaving um, the crowd there. So we can pick it up from there, but go ahead. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break and come right back. Okay. I only said that because we had less than a minute. So I will give oh, yeah. you a quick call back and we'll start again. Die. Die. All right. Die. Welcome back to the show. Welcome Got it. back. Oh, I thought we were going to break out in song. I know. No, you don't want me singing. You don't want me singing. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we can do. We can't sing. Mm-mm. At all. I bet Randall, I bet Randall could. Well, no, we all can no in the shower. No, I don't want to put no you on comment. the spot, but I'm just saying. No, no comment, man. The Christmas no, no. in the shower always great. We're not here for that, man. No, we're, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, That'll be next show. That. It'll be just Randall singing. <laughs> Yeah, we're not here for that, man. We're not here. Nope. Just joined us. We are talking about the 1921 Tulsa massacre. Mm -hmm. Yes, not a riot. Not a riot. Mm -hmm. It was a massacre. It was a group of what do you say? Terrorist 600 600 white terrorist attack. Uh, It grew, it grew more than that. Yeah, domestic terrorism. You're right, no. Once we get it unwrapped, you'll see. Well, I mean, how it escalates. Terrorism, by definition, is what it is, right? I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. always have to come from the Middle East. No, yep. no, no, so, no, no, no. So, all right. So go ahead, man. So now, like KT said, the altercation starts because now you have these, you know, you have these 30 black men that say, hey, we're going to defend this prisoner or whatever he was. He was charged, but he wasn't convicted and let whatever the judicial system of that time was play itself out. But the white citizens were like, no, hand them over to us. We've already done our justice. We're going to lynch him. So like Katie says, 
um one of the gentlemen i don't i don't i can't remember the name uh he goes and the, the white man is like hey give me your gun and the gentleman's like no and i guess in the struggle ensues shots go out off and that's when everything starts so one of the guys on there said you would think that you know as a police department and this is where the whole mistrust between police officers, police departments, and black people starts. It, this is just one scenario, but it's a lot of different scenarios in history. Like the mistrust between black people and police officers didn't just start like overnight. Uh, no. If you go back, I, I, whoever's listening to this, look up uh, the move bombing in Philadelphia, 1985, May 13th, I think it was. That was another domestic terrorism where the city came in and bombed uh, these activists, these people that were uh, fighting against the the local government there. It was another, it was an actual bombing. Planes, bombs went off. Uh, I think they killed like 25 people. But anyway, there's several different instances in history. I can't go through all of them. But on this particular scenario, um, you would think the police officers or the police department at the time would have said, hey, cooler heads prevail let's let this guy have his day in court but no what ended up happening was the deputy sided with the white residents he he deputized these white residents white people there to say hey i'm giving you a a battlefield promotion now you're a deputy just like me now go out and round up these black people this is where the fights and the gun battles ensue because now you have all these whites that are deputized as angry mob marching down towards Greenwood district, which where all the blacks live at. So now of course, and I put myself in that position, I'm a black person. I got my wife, my children, I'm going to defend myself also. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not trying to hear what you're saying, you know? So they, they fortified, you know, they put drew a line in the sand. They fortified the Greenwood district and the melee starts off. So we'll, we'll pick it up from there and we'll escalate the conversation. So now it's a gun battle back and forth. So fellas, jump in, whatever you want to say. Well, I just want to point out that um, if memory serves from what I've looked at over the, you know, over this incident, they had airplanes. And yes, they were dropping bombs yes. from airplanes. Turpentine bombs, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. it wasn't, it, it was a total destruction of the area. Yeah. Basically, and you that, had 40, you had 40 armed black people, and they probably armed their kids and you know, whoever was fighting, but even like the the blacks that were not in the fight you know, started to flee. But like you said, then they brought in the planes and they brought in the heavy reinforcements. Because remember, now everybody from Tulsa started coming, you know, out of, you know, the uh, the woodwork and joining the fight. So that 600 people, white people, grew to 2,000. You know, yeah. now, and, now and, it's just, go ahead. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, just to defend those people that might have been there under false pretenses, you know, when you know, bad things are happening. You know, we, we've always heard this amongst ourselves that communication is always the weakest link. I seriously doubt they had the best communication system back then to tell everybody 
that showed up, what exactly was happening, why they were exactly. there and what they were doing. So they probably, I mean, not to defend people that were, you know, wanting no. to, to, to cause the death and destruction and they knew what they were doing, but there had to have been people there that were just like along for the ride, you know, that whole mob mentality uh, gone yes. awry where, you know, they just said, Hey, there's a riot come and defend yourself. These people. And, you know, even today, the idea that, you know, just because someone has dark skin, they're the bad guy, you know, that it's easy to point out the enemy. It's them. It's well, that psychologically, right you can it's see. Planning it. Yeah. Yeah. It's planning yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just I feel for that, you know, um, even like with current events, uh, we'll talk about another time. But, you know, the idea that somebody's in a position of power uh, where they can, you know, make like life and death decisions and they make the wrong decision and, and yes. it could purely be an innocent mister you know maybe not so innocent but it's a mistake that they didn't mean to do you know so back then you know i, I just it sucks it sucks and it, you know the, the, it shouldn't happen so think about like but we should have think about like if you're a resident of greenwood right with say, this group or these people it's just crazy yeah and think about if you're a resident of greenwood and like you didn't you were not part of the 40 people that were defending or you're just Random old Randall. Yeah. And now your police force or your deputy or your department is basically joined the other side. So basically it's just the route. They're moving in and, you know, you don't know what's going on. So you're fleeing. And they had all these interviews of Greenwood survivors. And it was like 1999. They did interviews. They were very old and they were talking about how they fled. And, and this one lady was just really sad. She said, yeah, me and my grandfather, my grandfather, and uh, two of us, uh, we were his grandkids, and my mother, we were fleeing. And his white guy stopped and was like, uh, what are you doing? He's like, I'm fleeing because they're shooting. And he was like, no, the, you're not, and shot him. Right? Mm. Dead. You know? And they had an actual interview of one of the ladies. Like I said, I encourage people to watch it. And it was just uh, what ended up happening. They, they came into Greenwood District. It would be like going into paramore district and just wipe they wiped out everything and the last stronghold was that church remember we talked about the preacher that moved to tulsa in 2018 and the last stronghold is the church and they end up like noah said bombing it with turpentine bombs um this is the first domestic terrorism on u.s soil ever this is the worst terrorist attack in u.s history people think it's 9-11 but actually it's not it's greenwood yeah. But like I said, people don't look at black people as being part of American history. So, of course, they would say 9-11 because they're like, that's not our history. That has to do with black people. You know, that's right. just my feeling. But then what ends up happening is now the city's destroyed. They tell the guy, um, I forgot his name. They said, come out and we'll save your hotel because this is a big, nice um, black establishment hotel with all the stars, Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, Louis Armstrong uh, came through. They said, we'll save your hotel. So a guy gives up. He walks out. They immediately bomb his hotel to the ground. Um, so basically, they drove all the residents out of the Greenwood District. They destroyed all the stores. They burned everything down. And then um, and I'm just trying to fast forward the story. So what ended up happening after everything happened, they basically, the mayor of, Green, of Tulsa basically said, um, that the riot or massacre, whatever you want to call it, was caused, was started by black people. 
So it'd be no restitution, no money to build your businesses back. Right. They basically drove them out of that prosperous land because it was prosperous land. So Marcus Garvey, um, who was a leader in the um, Black nationalist movement, he said he would send down 150 nurses, but the mayor of Tulsa said, no, we got it. We're going to help them. We're going to help them. And as soon as he backed off, they never helped them. They basically came in and took over the land. And that's the Tulsa you have today because it, it the documentary fast forwarded back to present day 2019, mm -hmm. where, you know, all the people that they murdered, the black people that were murdered, they were not given burial. They dug a mass grave. And they mm. dumped all their bodies in it. They covered it up. Uh, they never talked about it again. They took over they all their businesses. They covered it up. Yeah, they took over all their businesses. And the Black people that live end up fleeing and going other places. So basically, that's the Tulsa you have today. Mm. So it fast forwarded back to 2019, where they were uncovering these graves because they wanted the city of Tulsa, the mayor of today, 2019, was the time it came out was saying that it was a great wrong, a murder. He's like, any murder that happened in Tulsa, we want to, you know, look into it and make sure we solve it. Right. So you saw them excavating, excavating the graves of the people that were thrown into the mass graves and they, they end up finding, found, yeah, they found like a skull. Two or three? Yeah, they found a few, like maybe, maybe yeah. a little more than two or Artists. three. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's jump into it. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, they, it says they caused about 10,000 black people were left homeless. They caused approximately, in today's money, about 32 million in damages. Between yes. Homes, businesses, everything. 32 yes. million. And that, Good. that probably is like numbers from that day. That doesn't project out what those families. That's probably about and, 90 know, million now. That community yeah. would have as far as their, you know, accumulated wealth and prosperity just in that region you know i mean it's just mm -hmm. it's exponential when something like that is taken away and you know the educational opportunities for generations it's impossible to measure that and those are the things that we should be talking about because yeah. the impact you know the things that happen now impact generations from now yes and you know we don't always realize it but it's like you know you take a step back and you just go oh, yeah okay yeah that I can see how that would be mess up that family, that family, all the way, so on and so on. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, but, kids. Yeah. No, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm thinking. Oh. Keep going, keep going. No, I was just saying that, if you know, what if somebody, say if I were a white person today and I might say, well, what does that have to do with me? And how does that affect the black person today? That was a long time ago. Well, think about it. If you're a person today, and think about, because it was massacres everywhere. I have a list. Um, I think I sent it to you guys. Black massacres in the U.S. New Orleans, 1866. Rosewood, that's in yeah. Florida, 1923. Okoye, that's right yeah. down the street from us, mm -hmm. 1920. That's an election massacre. Yep. Tulsa, 1921. Vicksburg, 1874. Charleston. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yes. But imagine if that was your family and say they had generational wealth because that's what it was. Say if you own the business, maybe that movie theater, that's generational wealth because that can be passed down through your family. Well, if you lose that and then you don't get any reparations for that and you have to start over 
And not only do you have to start over, you're traumatized because they let you know that if you come in here and you do anything wrong, we'll do this to you again. Oh, yeah. You know, how do you build generational wealth? Like if 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 my grandmother has a home and I'm looking, say if I was a white person, my grandmother has a home and she wheels that down to my father. And my father either makes money off of it or keeps the house and he wills it down to me. Well, that's wealth. Now that's in my family, that's going to create more wealth. But if I don't have that house or I don't have that money, then how do I create generational wealth? If it's burned to the ground, if it's, you know, it's non-existent or every time I try to start something, this is what happens. How do I, you know, and we're not even talking about redlining and none of that stuff. We're just talking about this aspect of it, you know? Right. So when you look at it like that, you know, um, wealth is built over time. Especially, like, think about all these these people that came to America and made it rich. The Rockefellers, the the Waltons. Carnegie. The Carnegies. Um, Think about if somebody would have burnt down the Walton stores or burnt down um, the Carnegie. Was it still? Is it still the Carnegie's or cars? What about the no, Fords? Ford, yeah. What if what if somebody would have burnt down there the Fords first factory to the ground and said you have to leave and go somewhere else? Would the Fords be rich like that today? No. No. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So I'm challenging people that listen to this. If you have those questions, think about it in that aspect. I don't want to talk too much. I want y'all to chime in, you know. Go ahead. No, well, I so I'll throw in something else that you know I, I'm I'm trying. Hello. At you know, let's say a family. Can you hear me? Yep. You blacked okay. out for a minute. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry. So let's say a family is wealthy. Um, you know, they are prosperous. They have a movie theater, and they, you know they've got money to send their kids to college. Um, and it's not just see we kind of focus in on the material aspect of they own this business and this business is prosperous and they're making money. But let's say those kids go to college and they have opportunities when they go to college, get educated, they meet other people, they have business opportunities, they create yes. their own wealth and they do their own thing. And those things are lost. And then their kids can yes. then go to college. And, you know, and the whole idea that, you know, uh, I, every time I hear the, um, um, What's what's the what's the um, college um, affirmative action to get Mm -hmm. people, you know, of minorities into college? There's the it counteracts the legacy issue that if your parents went to this university, then it gives you a leg up to get into this university when you had no merit of your own. Just because your parents went there, it gives you points. So affirmative Mm -hmm. action was basically created to compensate for that. So but let's say these people did have. Um, you know, the successful business back in the 20s, their kids went to college, their kids go to college, and it goes on and on and on. Yes, that's lost. And that is, there's no way to know how that's going to happen. And then on the flip side, so those people are now destitute, they've got no money, they become the poor. And yes, people that are poor are usually the ones, the crimes, yes. regardless of the color, it's that it's the people that are poor, they don't have the opportunities, and all they see is despair. The only way they see they can make money or survive is by doing some sort of crime, whether it's theft, whether it's selling drugs or doing something illegal. 
And then or they're they more they're more immune to doing something like that because of their situation. Yeah, I yeah. Go so, ahead. So you know, then it it the losses are are exponential in the other direction. That you know, now you've got broken families, you've got people that are poor that are in the system. How are they going to get a job when they come out after stealing a loaf of bread? You know, like Lynn mm-hmm. is. You know, something mm-hmm. stupid like that. And, and now they've got a record. They can't get a job. It's hard for them to get a job be, to begin with. And they can't because of their record. It just, I, that would, it's a vicious that's what cycle. hurts me the most. Yeah. It's the cycle that perpetuates. And it's, it's nothing that this kid now that, you know, directs their future as much as what happened generations ago that put them in this place that didn't have to happen. Like KT said, it was stupid. It's about power. And it's about yes. people feeling that their power is going to be um, subverted in some way, shape or form. And they don't want to lose the upper hand because they're walking around and they've got all the good stuff and they think everyone is going to take it. You know, they'll have less good stuff when someone else is walking down the street in a nice suit. And to me, I think that kind of leads into the whole CRT thing. And uh, I get it. You oh, might yeah, not. I, I, one more you thing might to say not, about that, but go ahead. Yeah, you, and this is how I look at the whole thing is to me, um, you might not as a, I don't even like to speak for people because I don't like people speaking for me, but as a white person, you might not want to hear what happened because it makes you feel bad. And I get that being human, but I, as a black person going through it, I have to be subjected to stuff every day all my life yeah you know and nobody cares about that they say oh well that's the way of the world but now because one group of people might feel bad to hear things that happen but i feel like if you hear these types of things i feel like our generation the generation before us cannot be helped maybe some people but the generations our kids and our kids kids I feel like if they understand these things, they can probably not make these mistakes in the future. And we can move society along and get past race and racism and all that and move along as the human society. I truly believe that, but not everybody believes that, you know, some people just feel like, hey, leave that in the past. It's the past. And those are mostly the people that are doing well, you know, um, why would I want it to change if I did well? You know, I just keep it real. I'm going to keep it a thousand. If, right. if I benefited from it and people say, well, I didn't benefit. I didn't get the money. Well, yeah, you didn't get physical money. But when you get the stigma, I'll take it. I'll give you an example. We talk about white privilege and people are like, oh, I didn't receive anything from that. You don't. But you're not denigrated either. You have the big, right. what I call the benefit of the doubt. That benefit of the doubt, it's almost like when we're talking about these black coaches and the NFL getting into these rooms. Um, if you have a black and a white coach, you go in there. Of course, if I'm an owner and I'm a white guy, I'm going to feel more comfortable, you know, with the other white guy because he looks like me. He, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. If he, if he messes up a little bit, you might be like, oh, you know, don't worry about it because I relate to him. And that's what I was talking about in the beginning as far as representation matters versus if I'm going in there and I don't look like you, I don't sound like you, I haven't shared your experiences, it's going to be hard for you to be like, oh, I see something in him. It takes a very special person 
to see past that. I'm going to just keep it real and say, I want to hire this guy. I want to work with this guy. So that's just my two. Go ahead with your two cents, Noah. You said you wanted to chime on the CRT. Yeah, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit when I was talking about the massacre and the way they refer to it as a riot yes. and not a, a massacre or attack or anything else specifically so that those businesses and those people couldn't get uh, claim insurance or yes. kind of get any sort of reimbursement for business lost. And that ties directly into the CRT, which is the systematic, mm-hmm. you know, the, the banks, the, the big businesses, the government on a certain level, they're, they're, designed to prevent any mobility upwards of certain people or outwards in any way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the mortgages, you talk about where people can buy houses, you talk about things like words of it being called a riot. And Mm. that not that that's just salt on the wound. We have all this destruction and death and all this mayhem, you know, catastrophic. And they tell you it was a riot. You can't claim anything. Sorry, dude. How can you? And those are indirect you, things. Yes. Can you wake and feel good about who you are and where you live and the people around you when things like that happen? Yeah. And yeah, it I mean, wasn't that long ago. And people think it was a long time ago. I mean, it was no. What a hundred years? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred years ago. But so from my perspective, also, as we're probably getting close on time, I, I heard some people talk. One of the shows I listened to on, on, believe it or not, I listen to other sources of, you know, like podcasting <laughs> and stuff. I, sorry, yeah. guys. But um, <laughs> it was it was a guest host and they were it was two guys. And let me see if I can get their names. I had them right here. But they were talking about, you know, black history and they were they were black guys and they're um, scholars and stuff. It was uh, Dr. Jamar Tisby and Tyler Burns. And they took over for the the guy on uh, tell me everything show, but they were talking about, you know, they had, they had a list and I forgot where they got it from, but it was probably written by white people because they were just picking it apart and it just sounded dumb. You know, one of the things on their list was cook a, a, a meal of like soul food. Like you, it's like, no. And they brought up like you, who's vetting this recipe. Who's yeah, yeah, yeah. making it. It's just like, yeah, no. but, but along those lines though, you know, one of the things they mentioned was, you know, yeah, this is Black History Month, but, you know, bring it on all year. That's Don't so confine true. everything to one month. You know, if you if you have the opportunity and what's better than, than trying to cook your own, you know, kind of soul food meal, which would probably be disaster for any white person. Mm. But go to the go to the restaurants, the black owned businesses and support them. Yeah, that's and, what we're do. you know, in, in that way, you can kind of get hopefully it's it's an authentic place you could get an appreciation for what that cuisine is like and what those people are doing and how they cook it and what's going on and get a glimpse into that culture, but don't confine it to just February. And I, I think mm-hmm. in the future, we're, we're looking good. We're looking better. Yes. When it we comes are heading to, in the right direction. You know, um, I don't know how long ago it was. It wasn't that long ago that they came out with the first black Barbie mm-hmm. and things like that make me feel good because it's something little, it's minuscule, it's minute, but you know what? It needs to happen. You know, you've got just, a little, yeah. like you've got yeah. a, a daughter. It's like you, these little black girls that you, they yeah. want to be able to see, they want yeah. to be able to see the person that they can become that, you know, the president of the United States, whoever it is, black woman. Okay, mm-hmm. great. It's possible. Cause otherwise, yeah, whatever. 
I don't believe it. Whatever. It's not going to happen. You know. And I, I do believe that. Oh, go ahead. Were you done? Are you? No, no. That yeah, that was it. That was it. No, I just do believe that for our generation, it's over for us. I don't think. I think the people at our age don't get it. But I do believe our kids and our kids' kids, I think it's mm. it's positive for them. I think it's different. I I see a lot of young people and it's different. The young people are different. I mean, I'm talking, when I say young people, I'm talking about 25 and under. They're different than even us. I mean, we we took a little step, but these young people, they don't necessarily see the world like how even we see it. We think we're progressive. Right. We think we're progressive. Oh, we're good. But I think the the 25 and under, you'll really see in the next. 50 years, a lot of this stuff is going to be gone or almost gone. And mm. um, I hope so. But I, I, I'm encouraged because just the way young people talk, the way they interact, like right now, um, culture, music, acting is so mixed. You know, it's you can see a Jack Harlow, who's a white rapper. Um, you can see a Serena Williams, who's a, a black tennis player, Tiger Woods. You can see all these different people of different backgrounds that are different, doing different things, and they're interacting with each other. And one last little story I heard this morning. I'm from Ocala, Florida. Two things. One, I saw a Black woman win Winter Olympics skating, and that was awesome. Erin Jackson. Erin Jackson. Um, like I say, representation matters. And I also saw a story that said, um, it was this morning, and the Ocala Police Department, what they did, they took a van, a police van, and they converted it into an ice cream-like truck. And it's a small gesture, and they drove that ice cream, they're starting to drive that ice cream truck around to different minority neighborhoods and just passing out, you know, free stuff to the kids, and people are like, oh, that's nothing, blah, blah, blah. But you got to understand, unless you interact with the yes. people that you are policing, you only see them as product or animals. When you interact with them, now you know Randall. You're like, you know what, Randall? I'm a police officer. I've interacted with you. So it humanizes you more versus oh, yeah. when I don't interact with you, I look at you as something else. You know, when I'm interacting with you, now I can, I can pull you to the side. I, I might have a cop uniform on. And I can say, hey, you know, you can be a cop. Hey, don't do this. You know, when you interact with a community, the community is more willing to help the police and the police department is more willing to interact and help the community. And I thought that was a small story, um, but it was huge for my city, Ocala, because one, we saw a black woman win winter Olympics skating. That's huge for my city. Yeah. Because I know the history of my city. And we saw the police department start to interact with the community. They, they're getting it. So that lets me know somebody up there is getting it. And I just wanted to put it out there before we yeah, get out of here. You know, it's, I'd love to see more of that, those stories and that kind of interaction. I mean, I, from, from where I am, things are good, but I know mm -hmm. that that's not the case everywhere. And I know that when it comes to policing specifically, you know, I do think things are getting better when you've got, you know, more of the of the minorities that, you know, typically the, in years past, generations past, the police have been there to put down. Now, some of those minorities, a lot of them are coming into those ranks and they're mm -hmm. 
hopefully changing how the thing is, you know, the way the, 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 the system is and mm-hmm. not just perpetuating because, oh yeah, we're, we're the same skin color, but you're an animal and I'm not, you know, it's like th- that should yes. be the case. So when you have the, like you said, the ice cream truck, just, I love that. Get out there and, you know, whether it's different skin color, or the same, just show the faces and be able yeah. to talk to people. Interact. Yes. You know, because the idea is, is that we can all get along. And when somebody in one of the poor neighborhoods has a problem with whatever it is, they should be able to call the police and whatever other emergency services and be able to handle the situation without prejudice, without coming mm-hmm. in guns blazing and, you know, guns drawn and ready to shoot just because it's like, no, you know, mm-hmm. there's a problem. The, 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 the power line fell down. It's an emergency. Can you send someone mm-hmm. out here? And instead, you know, people when- show up with guns. No, it needs to be. Hey, I know this person. I know this house. Yeah. Okay. I, I know this. I know it's everything's cool. Just stop. But you what know? it does too is it calms down the fears because think about it. Oh yeah. If you're a white police officer and all you see is black people on TV, negative stereotypes, and then you have to go out and police in an area that's all black, you're going to have your guard up. You already have your guard up as a police officer, but you're really going to have your guard up. How many stories have we seen where, a black man can be reaching for his wallet and he gets murdered. And then you turn around and see on the internet, a white man that's got a machete. He's swinging it. He got a gun. And every time it seems like he lives, that's the, the black privilege. man dies. And what that yep. is not only the privilege, but what that is, is the common effect because it's almost like, you know, that white officer might feel more calm with the white man because his guard is not up versus being with the black man. Yeah, his guard is his sense is really high. You know what I'm saying? But if you get into these communities, not saying you 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 still have to be a police officer. But if you get into these communities and the reason why I noticed because I follow this guy, if if you want to please follow him, his name is Officer Tommy Norman. About 15 years ago, he got into it. He's out of Arkansas. He got into his community. He drove around and started doing these things. And these people in this community now love this guy. I follow him on Facebook all the time. And I know that nothing would happen to this guy. They back him and he backs them. And he's still a police officer, but he's interacting in the community. Now he's nationwide all over trying to change uh, community policing everywhere. So that's just an example of what we can do. So that's my two cents. Um, I hope that you know, if you haven't learned anything from us, because, you know, sometimes we can articulate, sometimes we can't. Well, I'm going to speak for myself. Sometimes I can't. Just look it up. If you have a question, Tulsa Massacre, 1921, there's a lot of information out there. Look up these names. Um, you know, just uh, do your research. Don't just uh, don't just rely on somebody else to tell you about the past or even what happened or even um, what to believe. And I got this last quote. It's one of my favorite people in the world right now, James Baldwin. And Mm. he said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Got to talk about it. I truly believe in that. I truly believe in that. So I hope this helps somebody. I know, you know, I know every time we, I talk with you guys, it helps me. I love conversating with you. I consider both of you my friends. And I feel like uh, we can talk about anything, you know. Sure can. 
So that's mm-hmm. that's all I got, man. If anybody got anything else, uh... totally off the subject. Apparently, the uh, Ahmaud Arbery killers were found yeah. guilty of hate crimes. Well, that's good. They should be all counts. Yeah. Yeah, they. I mean, did you see the text messages? Yeah, I, did. I was like, man, come on, man. If they get if they get off from this, it's just not right. <laughs> I, I had to look at them because I'm like, okay, you know, it's triggering. But I looked at it. It's it's yeah. pretty. It's an open and shut case. I mean, it's the stuff they saying. You like it's yeah. people still out there like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. telling you, if you look it up, man, it's all over the internet. It's amazing. It wasn't about race. <laughs> no, you look at them text messages. The text messages were about race. What the de- what the defense attorney tried to say on that day, it wasn't about they wasn't racist. That's what he was trying to say. Ah, okay. On that day, they weren't racist. Yeah. <laughs> That's because he couldn't defend the, the text but messages. The, the other 364 <laughs> days? <laughs> yeah, they was racist as hell, man. They were some sheet wearing motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's bad, man. I don't know if you looked at it, man. Yeah. I looked at it. They had it like all over the internet for a while. It's, man, they was calling black people monkeys and N word and they, they animals and you know, we're going to hunt them down. And I'm like, there's people out there like that still. Scary as hell. You know, it's 2022. Yes. I was about to say 2021, but it's people still out there like that. Oh, it's crazy, man. It's still 1921. It's for real, yeah. man. Yeah. For real. Yeah, for that's real. why we're here talking about it, bringing it to light, letting people know. That's yeah, right, man. You know, at the end of it, we're, we're trying to help educate trying to help understand, trying to help get the word out there so that people understand that critical race theory in and of itself and other things aren't teaching you to hate, but teaching mm-hmm. you to understand. But mm-hmm. teaching you to be a little bit more knowledgeable about what happened. Not that you have to feel guilty about that because you aren't a right. part of it, but to nope. move forward from that, you should be able to at least understand what you're moving forward from. Yes. So... I don't know. With that being said, I will shut this studio down with <laughs> mm-hmm. another Closing episode. the studio. We Closing shut it up, down man. the studio. Close it up. <laughs> That's <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening to another episode of a conversation with open minds. It was a very thoughtful conversation today, a very hard-hitting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as yes. we enjoyed putting it out there for you. And wherever mm-hmm. you listen to your podcast, whether it is in your call, whether it is on the toilet, whether it is in the bathtub, you wherever it is, don't forget you might even be making love listening to it. Yeah, well, if you are, that's kind of weird, but okay, (laughs) (laughs) no matter where you are, on that note, always remember to have a conversation with an open mind.